Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning. Scott Luton, Greg White here with you on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Greg, how you doing? I'm doing great. Scott, how are you? Doing wonderful, man. Wonderful. We're getting a little bit of break from the heat here in the metro Atlanta area. Lots of shade out there. Might get some rain a little later on. You may have had a delicious steak dinner last night as well, from what I hear. We did. And I'll tell you what, had a great time with Clay the Diesel Phillips, uh, <laughs> celebrating some things with him and his uh, lovely significant other and uh, Amanda. So we'll have to share some details on our next Steak 101, <laughs> Atlanta right. Steak 101 show. Supply Chain Geeks Talk Steak. Yes, that's right. Greg, and a new series is born just like that. Just like that. But hey, Greg, today, and, and by the way, well, if we're talking about dinner last night, I hear you and your lovely significant other dined with one of the movers and shakers across global supply chain too. Yeah, one of the best leaders in supply chain, Rick McDonald, and his lovely wife, Kristen, had some great seafood because I don't get enough of it at the beach, so I come back to Atlanta. <laughs> yeah, and just amazing on camera and off, at yes, work and away, just what an incredible person Rick is. Yeah. Agreed. Next time, we're going to have to bring the tables together, right? And, That's uh, and a great not talk, idea. And not talk any supply chain. It's got to be everything but supply chain. So, but uh, hey, we'll save that for another day, Greg. Clearly, we had a great, we're in great company last night, eating some great food. Today, though, today we're talking about the obstacle course that is ocean shipping lately. And we're going to be talking with an industry leader, mover and shaker, that will be sharing ways to optimize your shipping approach, particularly your allocation management. Greg, should be a great show, right? Yeah. I mean, what could be a more poignant topic, right? I think we've talked about how often shipping contracts really mean nothing, right? And what NYSHEX is doing is really valuable, obviously valued by the industry. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that. That is right. Big show here today. So, But hey, folks, in the cheap seats, in the skyboxes, Hey, you're the second star of the show. We want to hear from you. We'd love to get your take on everything we talk about here today. We're going to share as many of your comments as we can get to, but stay tuned for what's going to be a very informative show. So with that said, Greg, we already got some folks tuning in. Let's say hello to a few folks. Uh, the mm. aforementioned Clay Phillips, the biggest Atlanta Braves fan on the planet, next to someone that might be named Luton, big Braves fan. But really appreciate what Clay and the whole production team do here today, Chantel, Amanda, Catherine, and the Diesel, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I imagine that what game last night was a little bit distracting for your dinner. Oh, gosh. Man, on the drive home, old Will Smith did his best to give us a heart attack. But uh, hey, Kenley Jensen came in all as well, and uh, the Braves are still playing great, great ball. Dr. Rhonda Bumpenza Zimmerman is with us here today. Greg, I got with Dr. Rhonda. Uh, yesterday morning, we did yeah. that Veterans uh, in Logistics event. Really appreciated. I tell you, Rhonda, wonderful, heartfelt perspective, real expertise. I appreciate what you shared all around, Greg, balancing that mental wellness that we all deal with, right? We all do, and particularly important for vets, right? I mean, they see things that no one should ever see. 
on a regular basis and helping them deal with that. They get out of the service and into the business world is really, really important. You're so right. And I learned something new. Uh, Rhonda's father was a Vietnam vet and she used a lot of his experiences in a very helpful way with our audience. So Dr. Rhonda, great to see you, admire your work and great to have you here today. As we mentioned, Amanda, Catherine, the whole team behind the scenes, appreciate what they do every day. Brian Ransford, a new Seattle, was it Seattle? A new weather report from Seattle, right? Yeah. <laughs> what do they call folks in Seattle? Seattleans or? Seattleans. Seattleans. Well, hey, Brian. Brian, help us out. <laughs> help us out. And we'll have to get you connected with your fellow supply chain practitioner that hails from Seattle, since we don't know what to call that, Josh, who hopefully will be here with us today. But Brian, great to see you via LinkedIn. Amanda is echoing. We're talking about Dr. Rhonda's incredible sentiment and expertise she shared. So appreciate that. Sumit tuned in from Dubai via LinkedIn. Great to have you here, Sumit. Looking forward to your perspective here today. Uh, Joey's back with us. Joey, Greg, Joey has been, there's not been a live stream where he's not made his mark here lately, huh? Not just that, but he's really active on LinkedIn and adding some good commentary there as well. Yeah. And he is so observant. Greg got a tan, he says. It's all in the lighting. <laughs> so, Just uh, tune that lighting a little bit. <laughs> Shelly Phillips is back with us. Really have enjoyed her perspective via LinkedIn from Colorado. Great to see you here, Shelly. I bet it's talent. Talent. Uh, let us know. We'll try to get everybody's name right. But great to have you here, Talent. He's watching from Zimbabwe via LinkedIn. Great to have you. Looking forward to your perspective here today. All right, so Brian's answering our question. Seattleites. Seattleites. Man, I'm glad you pronounced oh, that first. Oh, that's almost like satellites, of course. Space Goodness. Needle, all that stuff makes perfect sense. Sunny and 90 degrees. So, Brian, great wow. to have you here. How about that? Yeah, no um, wonder Corey's not here. He's probably <laughs> in the basement with a towel on his head. Man, uh, Akil is here via LinkedIn. Great to have you here. Let us know where you're tuned in from. And finally, and we couldn't get everybody here, but Ruben. Tuned in from Miami via LinkedIn. Great to see you, Ruben. Looking forward to your perspective here today. All right, Greg, we got a big guest here today. We're ready to dive yeah. right in. Let's do it. All right. I want to welcome in Gordon Downs, co-founder and CEO with NYSHEX. Gordon, how are we doing today? Very good, Scott and Greg. Great to be here. Big fan of the show and uh, excited to be your guest. Oh, man, that, that's like the perfect response to that question, Greg. Isn't it? He didn't even look like he was reading it. No kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Gordon, hey, we've had a lot yeah, of fun. Yeah, great to have you on. <laughs> we've had a lot of fun in the pre-shows getting to know you and what your incredible team are doing. Yeah. Change how global supply chain takes place, especially when it comes to shipping. And looking forward to kind of diving in deeper to uh, especially allocation management. Uh, I don't know about you, Greg, but I'm looking forward to learning a lot more about that specific aspect of ocean shipping. But before we get to all of that, Gordon, we've got to know when you're not changing the world of ocean shipping and using your capes and your superheroes to solve problems, what do you do in your downtime? So there's one sport that I do whenever I get a spare moment and done it my entire life, and that's surfing. And now that I'm a dad with two kids, my passion is actually teaching my kids how to surf. So You don't um, say. Yep, you don't say. So, wait a second, Greg, Gordon, hang on. Oh, Gordon, we might just have a shot of you in action here. Let's see, our team never sleeps on this kind of stuff. So, look at, th this is you, Gordon. Uh, this is in Indonesia, I'm hearing. So, tell us here, and this might be pre-kids, I don't know. Tell us about what you're doing here. 
Yeah, so that's a picture from a few years back prior to having kids. And uh, my wife and I spent some months sort of bombing around different parts of Indonesia. And this was a great day. The waves were nice and big and sun was out and just managed to catch lots of really great waves. So here's one of the, the pictures that we got snapped from the rocks. I love this. So Greg, and to our listeners that may not be viewing it live, if you're listening to the podcast replay, we've got a, a beautiful Hollywood shot of Gordon in action. Now, we had broken out the protractors and the compasses <laughs> As we, as we try to triangulate the height of this wave, because Gordon's like, no, 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 it's like six feet or something. Greg, what was our best educated math guess here? Well, I'd love to put it to our watchers, but I'm going to go with like 12 feet. I yeah. mean, if you figure Gordon's around six feet tall, crouched down maybe a foot or two, and that is clearly two or three, at least two and a half times his height on the board. Yep. That's got to be a 10, 12 footer. That's a giant wave for (laughs) those of us who aren't surfers, but surf, (laughs) right? And Gordon, we know you're an entrepreneur, but you could just about get at least a half a container on that surfboard and have a whole (laughs) new wrinkle to your business model. But uh, that's a shorty board, though, so there's not a lot of room. He'd have to he'd have to use a twenty footer on that. Yes, that's right. I don't think he could float a (laughs) forty. One more question, kind of kidding aside. I didn't mean to cut you off earlier. You were sharing about how you enjoy doing it now with your two kids. So before we shift gears to kind of work stuff, tell us a little bit about who's the fast learner or tell us about teaching your kids how to surf. Yeah, I've got two kids, nine and six. My nine-year-old is my daughter. She's really excited about it. My six-year-old is still trying to figure out if he really wants to be a surfer, but my daughter definitely does. The, the only problem is, I think when you live in the New York area, we go surfing down the Jersey Shore uh, whenever yeah. there's a little bit of a swell. But usually the waves get good when it's winter or fall, and that's when you really... Yeah, yeah, Yeah. big snowstorms usually bring the swell. And that's when you really got to be committed. And it's hard to sort of muster the motivation when you wake up on a snowy morning to cover yourself in five mils of rubber before paddling out there. So my daughter's, uh, let's put it this way, at this stage in her surfing career, she's a fair weather surfer. But the hope is that as she gets more and more into it, she'll, um, she'll start to appreciate the better days when the weather might not be that great. Love it. Well, Gordon, we've had a lot of fun with this in the pre show and on this show here. Yeah, two words for you, Gordon. Outer Banks. <laughs> yep. Much it's on warmer. my list. It's on my list. <laughs> uh, well, hey, it's a gift that keeps on giving. So I appreciate you sharing. And uh, now, Greg, we got to start to kind of get into the center plate item here today. Dining was an earlier theme. Where are we going next with uh, Gordon Downs? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, we want to talk about shipping and allocation and, and all of that. And you have a pretty notable history from being in the shipping industry and started this company, but a special significance of knowledge in some of the things we're going to talk about today. So tell us a little bit about what you did prior to founding uh, Nishex. Yeah, so I spent 12 years with Maersk. Originally joined Maersk in South Africa. That's where I'm originally from and then had the opportunity to live in different parts of the world with Maersk and great career there and, and really got to appreciate the inner workings of how a carrier operates and also got to appreciate the complexities around how contracting is done and how the performance mm. of contracts are monitored, et cetera, which isn't great. And then I spent three years with the company called SAD Miller, which is now part of the AB InBev group. And there I was very much focused on digital transformation, but spent a lot of the time within that transformation focused on the shipping and logistics side of things and really got to appreciate that the problems that I experienced as a carrier related to contracting and keeping track of contract performance, et cetera, are damaging for a carrier, but also very damaging for the customers of these carriers. I mean, the consequences of getting these things wrong can be quite severe. 
So that's what gave me the confidence to sort of quit my very nice day job and, and start working on this exciting adventure because it really was clear to me that if we can solve this problem, everyone's going to benefit. It's not just a piece of technology that gives one side an advantage in a market. It really does sort of uplift the whole market if we can succeed, which so far we're, we're on track. That's great. It's clearly a need that I think anyone who has ever shipped anything on the ocean can relate to, right? There are so many complexities in that. So as we kind of level set this, tell us a little bit about what you're seeing, have, maybe even have seen, but are certainly seeing in the current ocean shipping environment. And what is it that makes that so complex? So it is a complicated market, and there are many components that make it complicated. I mean, the one is that supply is is to some extent fixed. I mean, it takes three years, give or take, to order a new ship. And of course, once you order a new ship, it lives for about 30 years, but it's got a sort of useful life in that range. Demand can vary quite dramatically with seasonality and all kinds of other things that can impact demand. And what I think a lot of people might not appreciate about shipping, but when you run a, a shipping line, as most of these uh, global carriers do, your product is basically perishable. So when your ship's about to set sail out of Hong Kong and come across the Pacific to the United States, if you've got a bunch of empty container slots on there that aren't filled, you know, the value of those slots is immediately perished. It's not like selling beer. If you don't sell it today, well, you can sell it tomorrow. And so this drives a lot of very interesting sort of behaviors in the market. And it drives, I would say, fairly volatile pricing in the short-term market, and it has definitely implications on the long-term market. So, And it's one of these industries where I think most people, until quite recently, when all the supply chain bottlenecks made its way to the sort of the front page news, and even President Biden weighed in on these topics, most people just didn't appreciate the complexity of this industry. And you just assume that you know goods arrived and they were on container ships and it just worked smoothly. But of course, now we know... It's not always the case. And it's funny because I'm sure you've had similar experiences, but when I tell people I work in shipping, a lot of them prior to the pandemic would say, oh, well, so are you involved in getting my Amazon packages to my front door? And of course, there's a component of that, but really the ocean shipping is quite removed. Now, right. a lot of people really understand when I talk about the role we play in shipping, they can appreciate the relevance. So it's a complicated industry. I think a lot of people don't appreciate the complexity, but that's starting to change. I think it's interesting what people are saying about shipping now. Of course, the, sh the carriers are making huge profits right now, and everyone's all up in arms, and everyone wants a share of that. It's funny, Gordon, to me, I have no particular dog in this fight. I don't own a shipping company. I don't invest in them or anything like that. But it's funny, a few years ago, when they were bleeding cash and profit, nobody wanted a piece of that, right? And I think that the cyclicality, as you referred to in some of the administration's comments, they have not been aware of the impact of that cyclicality on this industry. Mm. And so they've got to get while the getting's good, if you will. Great yeah. point. No, it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating dynamics. So we're going to get into one component of ocean shipping, and that's uh, this allocation management and, and how to optimize your approach there. But before we do, you know, you were just describing the complexity kind of the, of the greater ecosystem, the greater environment. Speak a little bit, Gordon, if you would, to the complexity of optimizing your approach to allocation management in this environment. Yeah. So as, as, as you pointed out, there's complexity at all levels, and there's enormous complexity when it comes to managing allocation. Because, of course, allocation ultimately stems from a contract or some form of commercial agreement between the carrier and the shipper, where they agree that the carrier will provide allocation on a certain route and or combination of routes, and then the shipper has to of course, use that allocation. And just to illustrate this, very simple mathematics, right? Let's assume that 
the commercial agreement, average commercial agreement between a carrier and a shipper might involve 10 load ports and 10 discharge ports. Right there, that's 100 permutations if you multiply those together. And of course, if there is, in addition to that, 50 weeks in the year, because of course, most of this allocation is uh, managed on a weekly basis. So let's just assume 50 weeks in a year, 50 savings in a year. That gets us to 5,000 permutations. And then keeping track of every container, because of course, a container is not just, it goes through various sort of events, i.e. the container is booked, it's it, the empty is picked up, it's gated into the terminal, et cetera. There are about 10 really critical events. You multiply that by 10, you get to 50,000 permutations. And a lot of this is, it's hard to keep track of. It's not exactly clear how the allocation should be split up between the different load ports with seasonality, et cetera. So as you can just see with basic mathematics, you realize the scale of how complex these things can become. Yes. And, Sorry, so my ahead. 10th grade math teacher, Ms. Porter, one of my favorite teachers of all time, is going to be very proud of this moment because I can follow along with what permutations are. So, uh, <laughs> so but getting aside, I mean, goodness gracious, uh, as you were just talking about, uh, just sheer from a mathematical standpoint, and then you layer on everything else that you're speaking about, the uh, the general environment that we're in and other technicalities when it comes to you know managing allocation. This is not an easy job. So anything else, but we're, we're about to move into, because there's good news here, Greg and Gordon. And the good news is, is there is a better way. And Gordon's going to kind of speak to that a little bit here in a minute. But Greg, weigh in, if you would, on the complexity, both in the macro and the functional era, I'll call it, of what Gordon's speaking to here. It, it's so complex that I have h- tried hard not to delve into it. So as you know, I was in purchasing for major retailer back in the day, and and we imported a lot of goods from China and elsewhere. And to me, it was a giant black box. It was PO go out, stuff get on ship, ship hit port, port hit warehouse, right? Whatever, trailer hit warehouse, magic happens and it's in the store. And I think a lot of people see it that way, but there are hundreds of touch points um, when you include the intermodal aspects of it, of course. But even just the shipping is so complex, and I, you know, there there are customs issues and there are um, port operations issues in addition to the potential carrier issues, right? And routes yeah. matter. It's just an incredibly complex dynamic, and I think even people who are in the practice don't understand it very well. This is what I think is so important about these electronic contracts and about some clarity in terms of performance in these contracts is. I didn't even know what to ask. I didn't know what to ask a carrier for. And Gordon, you're in a unique position of having been both a shipper and a carrier and understanding what each should be expecting from the other with real experience, probably mm. some real pain, I'm guessing, and understanding how to address that. So I think that is really important. It's rare, by the way, when you have somebody offering a technological solution that they've been a practitioner, mm. especially from both sides of a transaction like this, and they have both the wherewithal and the drive, desire to solve something that is as complex as this. That's a great call out. All right. So, Gordon, anything else you'd like to add before we get into the good news part of our discussion today? And that's uh, three ways you can really maximize your allocation management. Any final thoughts before we jump in? 
Yeah, I think the one thing for me, which, as Greg, you pointed out, when you're in this day-to-day, you feel the pain and it becomes quite personal. So while I was at Maersk and also while we were at SAP Miller, we explored different ways of, like, how could we solve some of these problems? And one of the challenges is the way that the systems in the industry today are designed. And, you know, for example, the carrier's got many different systems, primarily oriented around issuing a quote or a contract and producing an invoice based on that and producing bills of lading and getting bookings loaded on ships, et cetera. But the systems aren't designed so that you can keep track exactly what did you promise to your customers and what exactly did you deliver, what exactly did your customer deliver, and how do we sort of uh, resolve any exceptions that might come out of that. And so the carrier systems aren't designed like that. Most of the shipper systems are not designed in that way. Shipper systems are designed, as you mentioned, Greg, to process a PO, convert that into a booking, get it through a freight station or consolidation station, whatever it is. But it's not designed to keep track of what was agreed and, and then how was that delivered, et cetera. So you've got two fundamentally different sets of systems, not optimized for keeping track of what was agreed between the two. And then you end up with this multiple versions of the truth. And of course, it's right. enormously complex trying to harmonize those things. So there's systematic challenges there. And the other thing for me, again, talking about the pain being personal, my first jobs at Maersk was in the, the bookings department. And when things would go wrong, the amount of effort that you have to put in trying to just do the forensic investigation, what actually happened in this case, it takes an enormous amount of time. And then there's also you have one version of the truth. Your customer as a carrier would have potentially a very different version of that truth. So it's, you know, once you start to sort of peel away at the layers and the problem, it, it gets complex right down to a very, very sort of granular, like individual process or individual system or individual data source point of view. Okay. I think you have just brought it home to so many practitioners globally and then hit the mark on what so many have experienced. And you're speaking to, we've got to make it easier right? For supply chain professionals, shipping professionals, you name it, logistics professionals globally. And that's where I'm looking forward to kind of getting to the next part of our conversation. So let's walk through. There's three main ways we want to talk about with Gordon, ways that you can maximize your allocation management approach. So the first one, Gordon, is? Well, many different ways. And I agree, it's free being key. The first and most important one is to make sure that the allocation that you agreed on with the carrier is clear. And it's broken down into the relevant level of uh, granularity. So if it's too broad, it becomes ambiguous. And then it's really hard for the carrier to plan for what cargo you plan to deliver, et cetera. And it can be very difficult for you to get the service level that you're expecting. So the first part, of course, is making sure that the terms and the allocation is very clear and it's not overly ambiguous, et cetera. The second part is having the performance data to see what actually happened. And again, we talked about different systems have different processes and different data sets, and they're not necessarily harmonized. And being able to sort of match booking data, equipment event data, and all these sort of related milestones that Greg and I had touched on earlier, and relay that back to the allocation and then check who performed, who didn't, where did these breakdowns happen is really important. And doing that in a timely fashion is critical because it allows for course correction in flight versus if these things are done, you know, at the end of a contract, when it comes time to renegotiate, by that stage, it's, it's very difficult to bring something back on track. Often mm. a lot of sort of bad faith has taken place in that time, or at least undermining of the relationship is taking place. So keeping the data of performance attributed or at least allocated and harmonized with the actual allocation is critical. And then the third component really is the workflow, because of course, when things go off track and these things unfortunately tend to happen in the supply chain industry is complex, there needs to be workflows that allow for the timely, the amicable, the efficient resolution of these uh, these things. And so those are the three most important components of solving allocation management. And when those things work together, 
you really do see a, a vast improvement in the day-to-day work that people in our industry do, and also a far greater performance from a shipper point of view and supply chain reliability, less um, unexpected freight costs, less stress. And from a carrier, they can better, very importantly, they can optimize their networks and their vessels. But even more importantly than that, I think, is that they can better service their customers. So there's a lot of benefits that come out of that if you can solve those three uh, component parts of the problem. I've got a couple of quick follow-up questions for you, but Greg, I want to get you to weigh in first. Those three things that we're starting with here with Gordon, your thoughts that come to mind? Yeah, well, the first thing is that the forensic aspect of it, or even just having the metrics to understand the forensic aspect of it. I can verify that it took days, sometimes weeks, to find out what went wrong. And when you have the data that shows the handoffs and the accountabilities and the performance or non-performance, I can tell you, you made me think of this, Gordon, and it hurt me. It's not your <laughs> fault, but it hurt me. I, I can remember having it out with a carrier when, of course, I didn't know anything about what I was talking about, except that they had been late. And then I realized that it was our manufacturer getting the trailers, the containers, late to the port and actually missing the sailing or being late and getting rolled off or whatever, roll off. That's my least favorite term in in shipping, by the way. And so, but we put dozens, maybe hundreds of hours into just figuring that out for one incident. And it didn't help us solve it at all. All it allowed us to do was point the fingers back at ourselves and then yell at our manufacturer. But it was weeks and weeks later that we even discovered it. So the timely resolution of this is critical. And then just having the transparency to know what's happening, know those expectations clearly, something that makes a shipping contract moderately enforceable from either side. Right. It's absolutely critical. There are still so many sailings where the, the contract is not enforceable because, to, Gordon, to your point, it's just too vague. Right. Okay. okay. Gordon, I'm going to give you a chance to respond to that from Greg. Akil and Sumit, great questions. We'll try to get mm-hmm. those here in a moment. But Gordon, why don't you respond to Greg? Then I've got a couple of quick follow-up questions to what you shared earlier. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with everything Greg said. And we see this play out every single day in, in the industry, or at least when I was sort of in the day-to-day sort of operation of the industry. And here's the big tragedy, you know, just taking what you've said and extrapolating this. I genuinely believe that in most cases, not necessarily all, but in most cases, the carrier and the shipper actually just want to figure out how to deliver on what they've agreed to. There is no underlying intent to break the agreements or to like uh, pull a fast one on the counterparty. It, it is genuine underlying intent to follow through. But because there's sort of half-truths and patchwork data, et cetera, it results in one of almost an adversarial way of discovering what happened. You have to almost accuse the other party to say, Mm -hmm. according to my data, I'm in the right, you must be in the wrong, and therefore it creates this sort of like like somewhat combative approach to solving issues. And that's not a good thing for a carrier or shipper. And it's sad when you see that happen. And you see many great sort of business relationships that have been nurtured and developed over years sort of fall apart over some of these things when they really get under stress. So yeah, I couldn't agree more with what you're saying, and it's just a tragedy when you see how it plays out. Now, just yep. a couple of things that, for me, I think are interesting. We did a survey of uh, um, some shippers and, and NBOCCs that joined a webinar we did recently, and it was fascinating, just some of the data points. is More than 50% of the participants, and there's some really big companies in that list, use Excel to keep track of all this stuff. And then, hence, Greg, why you're saying it takes countless hours to sort of <laughs> cobble together all the data from all the different systems and who said who, who said what happened, et cetera and try and document that kind of stuff in Excel. And it's just, 
given the number of data points we talked about earlier, just Excel is not the right tool for solving these type of problems. And the other one is, I think 74% of participants said that you know, it takes you know north of six hours a week of just manual you know, wrangling of data to get to a point where they feel comfortable. They know what's actually happening with their, with the allocations, et cetera. Wow. So it's a real problem, and you've got certainly a very personal data point there, Greg, but this is definitely indicative of a problem that's pretty broad across our industry. It is, and it's a common theme of all these conversations we've had going back a couple of years now, right? Everyone has their own spreadsheet, and it's really difficult to get to that single source of truth so you can take the actions that are needed. And to your point, Gordon, protecting and really growing the relationship that exists, right? Because if the relationship's at odds, to your point, it really holds so much back and it's much more difficult to solve problems. But I want to go back to the three points you shared. If you had to, just if you had to kind of ballpark it, where do you see organizations not acting on one of those three things most often? What's the, maybe the most important out of the three things? I think the most important one is definitely getting to a point where there's clarity between the carrier and the shipper. If there's no clarity, it's, it's really hard for the other things to sort of have a positive impact. I would say that's the most important. The most complex, of course, is the second part, which is being able to reconcile what actually happened with what was agreed and where these breakdowns took place. Because again, going back to what Greg had shared with his example, this is just incredibly complicated. And, and what makes it even more complicated is the fact that, again, everyone's got slightly different versions of the truth and it, right. these things are not harmonized. But so importance, definitely point one. Complexity, definitely point two. Okay. All right. I want to get these, uh, Greg, we got some great questions here. And again, Gordon, you always have the veto authority if you want to tackle these questions after today's uh, live conversation. But Akil says, uh, great to hear such valuable points. What do carriers do in case the ETA got rolled off and we got the majority of the week's loads from the same? How do we plan for such uncertainty? That question itself is uh, quite a loaded question. When I spent time as a shipper, the way that we looked at our supply chain health was really based on like on time in or out of ne, or right. on time in for no error, et cetera. And when you break down OTIF into the various sort of causes of things that are not OTIF and you put them into different buckets, the biggest bucket is the fact that you didn't get on the vessel that you intended. And that is by far the area that you can control as a shipper and improve on. When you talk about the bucket of things that got on the intended vessel, but the vessel was delayed because of, you know, usually it's something like bad weather, congestion, or the carrier had to reroute the vessel for some form of network optimization. Those things are really hard for a shipper to control for. Of course, you can do your homework and try and recognize from past performance, when is it likely that these vessels are going to be congested or and you know delayed outside the birth of the vessel, et cetera, or when is the congestion, the, the transshipment connection going to be missed? But those are things that are hard to control for. But the good news is that generally speaking, that's a small root cause of the OTIF challenges that a lot of shippers would experience. So I, I hope that answers the question. Um, and as a good friend who's an athlete always tells me, like, you've got to control the controllables. And you know, that's, I think, where, where we send, tend to sort of focus the majority of our time and, and the technology. I love that. It's so important, controlling the controllables in global supply chain. Uh, Greg, your quick comment before I move on to the next one. Yeah, I think these electronic contracts, the clarity that Gordon keeps going back to, they make the controllables known and more controllable. At least you understand what your risks are of being rolled off or what the implications are of missing a, a sailing or whatever. So the more you know, the more you can control, right? right. And then you can assess your risk of using a particular carrier 
using a particular port, whatever, even implications of weather or whatever that could be impacting your shipment. Well said, Greg and Gordon. Dr. Ron is talking about just how incredibly intricate all this sounds. Completely agree with you. Kim Winter, we were just talking about there your show. Uh, greetings from uh, UAE, enjoying Gordon's allocation deep dive <laughs> with the deadly duo of supply chain over dinner. That's so funny. All hey, right. Kim, as long as you're out there, settle a bet for us. How tall in feet and inches, not stone <laughs> or any of that stuff? How tall are you, Kim Winter? Please. All right, Kim. Uh, we were just <laughs> talking about rugby too, so you got to uh, bring it. And Akil says, by the way, that answered my question. So there Gordon, we go. Kudos. Uh, I'm going to ask, I'm going to pose one more question to you from our cheap seats in our uh, skyboxes. Sumit's talking about how dynamic pricing impacts on e-contracts when there's a delay in the chain. Anything you want to talk about when it comes to dynamic pricing and delays? So the way that the contracts we work with typically work is that the price of the contract is fixed. So once the carrier and the shipper agree, then it's a question of what are the commercial terms, what are the performance um, requirements, et cetera. And there are a few, but very, very few exceptions where there might be some variation based on a, a fuel factor or based on very, very, very small cases in index, uh, which might result in price adjustments over long-term contracts. But that's unusual. I think dynamic pricing really applies to spot market. And we talked about the fact that you've got these, uh, the carrier ships are perishable, or at least the space on their ships is perishable in the sense that when the ship's about to sail from Hong Kong and it's got 100 empty slots, um, what do you do? And one of the levers that carriers would follow is to discount the spot price in order to incentivize shippers to bring their cargo in and help them fill up that space. And as long as the price that they sell at is higher than you know, marginal cost, you know, generally it makes sense for them to do that. And so that results in this sort of dynamic pricing that uh, a lot of carriers do. But dynamic pricing really is prevalent in the spot market, not necessarily the contract market. Now, of course, the spot price does in or influence or indicate what the market prices for contracts, those two things are related. But just as I described, the contracts typically have fixed prices. Uh, it's very unusual that there's variation in those prices. Well said. And I appreciate you taking that question. And Sumit, a uh, great question there. All right. So what I want to go to next, oh, we got some time here. And by the way, big shout out to Matt, a member of the NYSHEX team, a former member of our Atlanta supply chain community. Hope he's doing well. And congrats if he's listening to the, his newest addition to his family. Gordon. Speaking of Nashex, as Greg likes to ask this great question, Greg, uh, you know what? I can't imitate it. Uh, walking down the hall, pose your question to Gordon. Yeah, I guess I love asking this because it really gets the root of what a company's value proposition is, right? And that is if I am, let's say I'm a shipper and I'm walking down the hall and what is the pain that's going through my mind that has me need to make the call to NYSHEX to solve this with these more reliable contracts? Yeah, I mean, the pain, Greg, I think to, it's similar to what you described, but to summarize it, it's really this unpredictability that results in unreliability and this fear that you don't have all the information that you need in order to manage your supply chain, to optimize your supply chain, et cetera. So these things are all sort of highly related, but I, I'll bet you there's a lot of shippers who feel that there's room to improve on how they are performing on their contracts, how they carry a partners are performing on their contracts. And there's a lot of benefits that come from that. So I would hope I'm right, but I think that a lot of shippers would resonate with the pains that you described and the predictability, unreliability, et cetera, is, is an important component. Yep. I guarantee you that they do. Look, my contention is not that, I think the most dangerous answer is not, it costs too much, it took too long, even it was too unreliable. The most dangerous answer to any question in supply chain is, I don't know. 
And I think anything that we have that allows us to, even if things are going wrong, to know where and why and how gives us at least the opportunity to resolve what's going wrong. I'm curious, as you guys have kind of taken the field here and started to roll forward, you clearly have a lot of support throughout the industry. I'm curious if, because I think we all have not really addressed kind of the unspoken aspects of shipping, and that is there is a lot of intentional obfuscation. I happen to, by the way, Gordon, agree with you that that companies, they generally want to do the right thing. They just don't want to get poked in the eye when things go wrong. So I I guess I'm curious, are you seeing more headwinds or tailwinds in acceptance of these more transparent and accountable contracts? Yeah, that is such a fascinating question. And the answer for me, at least, is equally fascinating in that by and large, now there are exceptions, but by and large, carriers are starting to recognize that they need to give their customers different contract products based on their customers' needs. And they also start to treat their customers a little different, i.e. customers that they know want more predictability or willing to invest the energy and the time, et cetera, in monitoring their performance and helping the carrier get to the bottom of exceptions when they come about. They are prioritizing that freight. They're giving better service and they're building sort of contract products specifically to address that type of need. But by the same token, a lot of those same carriers have contract products which are based on sort of best effort. And like, we'll do our best. If we can accommodate you, we will. If we can't, then you'll have to find an alternative. Right. And, and I think that's fine. There are many other industries who've done something similar. Just look at airlines. They sell non-refundable seats and refundable seats and standby seats, et cetera. And I think that this is a, now sort of the direction of travel that our industry is going in. Um, I think that's positive. And I don't think any carrier in their right mind would take an approach where to say, everyone has to do business with me in one particular way, it's kind of hard. And it wouldn't necessarily address the like the market that the carrier probably wants to go after. And I think it's also true from the shipper point of view in that I think shippers are starting to look at their supply chain more and with a more sort of analytical mindset and start to say, there are certain lanes or skews or whatever it might be that I really need this predictability. I can't afford to risk you know, one week not getting space or some sort of extended delays, et cetera. And then saying, those skews or those lanes, those are the ones that I really want to make sure that I have clear allocation, it's committed, et cetera, versus other lanes where maybe I have more sort of buffer safety stock, et cetera. Maybe I have more variability in my own supply chain and I can't be as particular about my allocation as I would like. Therefore, those ones I'm going to use as sort of a best effort-like product. And so I think it's unfolding in a very interesting way. And like I say, by and large, pretty much most carriers that we work, well, all carriers that we work, most carriers that we deal with are sort of moving in this direction. And I think the vast majority of shippers are also starting to think differently about their supply chain and sort of segmented based on those criteria. Okay. That's yeah. good news. It really I mean, is good I, news. I really also, think, yeah, I really think that transparency and clarity in these contracts is, is really critical for what we need to have happen in supply chain. So disruptions are going to happen. Sometimes it's going to be somebody's fault. Sometimes it's going to be somebody else's fault. Sometimes it's going to be nobody's fault or an uncontrollable disruption, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So I think the more that we know about the rules of the game, the better off it is, or the better off we all are, right? And it's good to hear that the industry is largely adopting this. I think you've had quite a lot of input and quite a lot of support from some of the bigger players in, in the industry, right? To to help you get this going. Yeah, no, definitely. Okay. 
All right. So, you know, we really need to book you for about three hours, Gordon, and really get to the bottom of all this. It deserves such a, a fuller conversation, but I appreciate what you're sharing here today, especially as it relates to the portion of the whole equation, allocation management. We've got some additional great questions from Akil and Jacob. We're going to save those offline. We encourage you to connect with Gordon and the team to have that conversation later. Sumit liked your point about, I don't know, <laughs> bang on. I could just picture you hit your head against a brick wall when we get that response, right? Kim, six foot. I think I would have guessed taller, but okay. Yeah. We, we were talking like eight foot two, Kim, <laughs> in the pre-show. But Kim, great to see you. Yeah, but a mountain nonetheless. <laughs> Hopefully you're eating something really good. All right, so Gordon, as we start to come down the home stretch, you and the Nashex team have offered up some resources, I think, for folks. I want to kind of reverse the order and really quick make sure, because Gordon, you mentioned earlier, I think you're referencing this webinar that the Nostrix team hosted with Julius Tan, Director of Logistics with Car Parts. And I want to say Car Parts, their commercial jingle has stayed between my ears forever. But he was talking about optimizing their care allocation. I think this is a well-received webinar. We've got the link, Amanda and Catherine. And Clay, if you're still around, if we could drop the link to the replay of this in the comments so folks can not take our word for it, but listen to it for themselves. And then the second resource we want to ask you about is this allocation management tool specifically that NYSHEX provides. So, Gordon, why should folks check this out and kick the tires on this thing? Yeah, the um, it addresses the challenges that we spoke about and, and Greg was sharing about from his experience in the, in the industry, et cetera. And ultimately, this provides a solution which now can be applied to all types of contracts, not just the the hard and fast sort of two-way committed, but even those contracts where there might be sort of a best effort commitment, even in the case where there's no firm commitment of consequence of what happens if, if something goes off track. But nonetheless, it's important to keep track of these things because A, that allows the, the shipper to understand like where are things going wrong? Are there things that are going wrong on my side of the equation? What can I do to tighten that up? And B, it in, informs what courses of action should that shipper take in the next go round? Like, is it time to start moving towards a contract where there may be more consequences or are there other benefits or other ways of being able to solve some of these challenges? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of value from that. And there's also another really important just tactical point. And we talked about the personal pain that we felt in the industry, both as a shipper and as a carrier. And there's a lot of stress and workload associated with some of this. So big component of that technology is even if it's not a traditional two-way committed contract, it's a contract which has, again, different types of terms. You can still run that through the application. You can still get the benefits of the efficiency, all the data basically at your fingertips, the workflows that allow you to see, okay, this is off track. Let me trigger an exception. Let's get whoever's involved in the shipment to sort of provide their perspective on this. And let's make sure that these things get resolved amicably and quickly so that you can get the contract back on track and everyone can be better off as a result. So there's an enormous amount of value for everyone. And it's a really exciting uh, sort of use case for the technology that we've developed. Agreed. And folks, we've got the link to check out that allocation management tool in the comments. You want to click away from kicking the tires on that. I think Gordon welcomes it and welcomes all the tough questions too. I tell you, we really enjoyed our live conversation and our pre-show conversations. But hey, I want both of y'all, if you can, to weigh in on this because it's been a big theme. You know, you look at a lot of third-party research sites or data sites and the amount of heartburn and stress and burnout in global supply chain Mm -hmm. is very real. And Greg, what this strikes me, what Gordon's approach and what they're doing at Nashex offers an opportunity to change how we do business and amongst many other things, help the team de-stress 
and help demystify, decomplexify. Did I just make up a word? I like it. (laughs) Those are some of the most important things we can do as leaders during this era of global business. Greg, your take, and Gordon, I'll get your take on that before we uh, start to wrap. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, first of all, human can't effectively solve the problems that Gordon and his team are solving with these contracts because we can't do anything about it. All we can do is the hours and hours of research, mostly after the fact. And I think that is a frustration in and of itself. But think about this. I mean, I think we've all, if any of us have ever cast off from shore, right? Think about not knowing, right? You cut that PO, you know something's going to go wrong, right? You know, the philosophy I was taught in supply chain was assume everyone will fail you and provision Mm. for that, right? I think if these contracts are used by people, I'm honestly not sure why everyone on the planet isn't using these things right now, but uh, you're welcome, Gordon. I hope that helped. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But really, I mean, really, it just makes sense because one, you feel a lot more comfortable when you're about to ship something, right? And the results are proven. If anyone's gone to the NYSHEC site, the results are astounding in terms of resolution, in terms of compliance and OTIF and, and things like that. So, and when I say astounding, I mean like really astounding. So take a look at how much comfort you can have when you cut a PO or you schedule a sailing or whatever. Think about how much comfort you can have in knowing that even if things go wrong, you're going to be able to recognize and resolve that instantaneously. And also, the results show that less is going to go wrong if more is defined more effectively in the agreement. Mm. So I just think it's a huge weight off of a person's shoulder as they're trying to do their job. Even going into it, there are so many aspects of the stress, right? There's the stress that's probably more nascent, but the stress of just cutting an order and getting it shipped, right? There's the stress, which is incredible while it's in motion. You feel like yours is always going to be the container that falls off in a storm or whatever, right? Uh, And then there's always the stress of the resolution after something does inevitably go wrong. Imagine if you can alleviate all of that in a huge measure. That's just so powerful. Imagine a world is what I'm right in a world, Greg. That was so poetic. I'm very impressed, Greg. I I could not agree with you more. Right. It's almost like Greg's middle name is E. B. As in the author of Charlotte's Web and many of other. I mean, it was literary. Your answer, but Gordon, I want to give you come back to you, especially on the de-stressing your workforce and making it easier for them and, and changing how business is done. But really quick. Charles Walker is one of our favorites around here. Greg, it's been too long since we had him join us live. Yeah, it has. You're right. He dropped so many t-shirt isms and you're ready to run through a brick wall. Uh, so Charles, hope this is finds you well and I uh, hope you check out the link and give us your take on what Gordon's saying here today. Okay, Gordon. So your final word, we're gonna we're about to ask you how can folks connect with you and learn more and connect with Nashex, but your final word on the importance of leaders making it easier for their teams. Yes. Look, we we all know that hiring great people in in any business is critical. And I think in supply chain, given all the complexity, you you need really great people to manage that complexity. And not only that, but I think that generally speaking, the supply chain industry is quite relationship driven. It's important to have relationships with your service providers. If you're a carrier, it's critical to have relationships with your customers. And when you put people under stress 
and they feel like they're overworked and they feel like they've got half the facts and they feel like their counterparty isn't towing the line, it really starts to damage those relationships, which puts even more strain on the people because people don't like necessarily this type of conflict or having to you know, mm-hmm. go in and, and argue every time you want to sort of get, get something resolved or you have, escalate something or who knows. So I think it's critical from any sort of leader's perspective. If you want to hire great people and put them in an environment where they can do their best work, take out that stress. And by taking out that stress, you're also setting up your company to be a better sort of partner to your suppliers or if you're a carrier, to be a better uh, carrier for your customers and results in a wonderful virtuous cycle of all kinds of benefits that come from that. But it really does take a, a concerted effort to say, we need to solve this problem. So well said. I think you really hit the nail in the last uh, two minutes. Cycle. Yeah, yeah, I love that. You know, hire great people, give them great tools, and expect them to do great things uh, and make it, you know, clear the path for them. Okay, so Gordon, a couple different ways that folks can plug in to you in the, in the NASHEX ecosystem. We definitely want to mention the Supply Chain Secrets podcast, which has been a hit. Folks can check that out wherever they get their podcast from. How can folks... What would you suggest if they want to connect with the Gordon Downs world, right? Other than connecting with your agent, how can folks uh, connect with you? <laughs> I don't have an agent and always happy to connect with people. LinkedIn's always a great way to sort of connect with me personally. And, um, but also think that our website's got a good sort of set of information to help people understand a little bit more the practicality of how the technology works and, and so on. And if you put your name and email into our website, one of the people from our team will get in touch with you and, and help you understand like what is the use case and the ROI and all those other good things. So the website's a good channel. And, and again, uh, LinkedIn's always a great way to get access to our sort of thought leadership. Have to give a shout out to Don and uh, the Supply Chain Secrets podcast because I think it's a great show. I love listening to it. And um, so hopefully people uh, in your audience will also find some interesting content over there. I bet they will admire the good agnostic digital content you are putting out there. The global supply chain needs more of it for sure and appreciate what you are doing. Okay, of course, we want to encourage people to follow and connect with Gordon on LinkedIn. Also, of course, find Nashex on LinkedIn. We provided, uh, in addition to that, the link to the podcast. I think we've got a link to the uh, allocation tool, link to the uh, replay of the webinar. We are linked out here today, Gordon. Really, hey, have really enjoyed your breath of fresh air and how you you and your team are really looking to, in a meaningful way, you know, change how a very traditional industry is doing business and how we can make, make it easier on our team. So, Gordon Downs, co-founder and CEO of Nashex, a pleasure to connect with you here today. Likewise, Scott and Greg, it's great chatting with you. Really enjoyed it, and um, we'll look forward to the next episode. That's right. We'll keep on Thanks, Gordon. fighting good a good fight. See you soon. Oh, man. I'll tell you what. And it's not just us. Shelly's a big fan. Charles is a big fan. We've got some other comments here we couldn't get to. And Charles, appreciate that. <laughs> a big old digital hug. Okay. Uh, you got to give right, him so, a hua. Yeah. Hua. Uh, hang on a sec. Hua. It depends on what service. Yeah. So let's let him hear the Air Force one. Nah. <laughs> You have to come back. You have to tune in to Veteran Voices to check that out. But <laughs> Greg, I don't want people making fun of my hoo. All right, but Greg, back to the topic at hand. Yeah. We touched on so many things. I know we were kind of focused a lot on, on allocation management, but at the end of the day, by the end of the episode, it was a very broad conversation on some big things that yep. really fall in line with a lot of other conversations we're having with Rick McDonald and many others. Your final comment here about uh, Gordon's uh, perspective. 
Yeah, I think, first of all, when you have that kind of interaction, you realize that this is a solution whose time has come, right? And I got to tell you, I wish it had been around when I was still a practitioner. And truthfully, I believe that this should and could be an industry standard. I mean, this should be the way we do contracts. And imagine if every, not, not even just shipping, sorry, Gordon, to I'm not trying to expand your scope, not just ocean shipping, but ground transport and other contract. Imagine if they were all kind of funneled through this place where you could get such tremendous transparency, accountability, and reliability and resolvability the more people participate in a service like this, the more stable, the more reliable the supply chain becomes. And that's precisely what we need. And the reason for that is we have been begging, Scott, you and I, and many of our colleagues have been begging for decades for that seat at the table, for that recognition, for that awareness, for that knowledge throughout the world of what supply chain does. And guess what? We got it. And now there's no going back. Right. So this kind of transformational transparency, wow, is really critical to how we do business going forward. And right. it's critical to the reliability that we all want to have in the supply chain. So I think industry standard, everybody sign up for this thing. That's seriously. Right. Hey, right. uh, as a professional, we like the proverbial dog that caught the car. Yeah. What now what? You, you got to deliver now. But hey. Yeah. Fortunately, we are a part of a global industry that has immense amounts of talent, of innovative leadership, like we saw here with Gordon. A lot of folks that are asking the questions, why, 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 so we can change how business is done and make it better and more stable and transformative as you're speaking to. So folks, thank you all for joining. We had so many great comments we couldn't get to here today. Charles, I'm ignoring your last comment. I am not letting that into the conversation, but hey. Whatever y'all do, hey, check out those links, ask those questions why, yeah. kick the tires on what we've been talking about, ask the tough questions, but whatever you do, deeds, not words. Uh, on behalf of our entire team here, Greg, Amanda, Catherine, Chantel, Clay, you name it, Scott Luton challenging you to, hey, do good, to give forward, and to be the change that's needed. And we'll see you next time right back here on Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now.